0: Life is full of awesome what-ifs, and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot maybe your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times
1: F1. Welcome to Mist Apex Podcast. I'm your host Richard Spanners Ready, and I'm joined by Matt Two rumpets. How's it going, there, Matt?
2: It is going fantastic. I'm certainly not watching the Indy 500 while we're recording the live stream.
1: Excellent. Well, hopefully, people will still hang around and listen to us, even though the Indy 500 is going on. Obviously, this season, Matt, a lot of comparisons between uh, F1 fans and IndyCar fans as Grosjean sort of tries to make his mark in the Indy 500. We we spoke at length at various points uh, about the the varying standards between F1 drivers and Indy drivers. I think most commentators and sort of uh, social media people would say, The standard is generally higher in F1, but it's incredibly high in IndyCar.
2: It's high in both, if we're being honest, especially at the top of the field. But I actually mention it because we're going to talk a little bit, I think, about the qualifying rule and your favorite race, Monaco, in
1: just a bit. I am so... Okay, I nearly said I was so pleased that Monaco was boring even for Monaco. Obviously, I'm sad that it didn't turn into like a super blockbuster exciting race. But I'd felt like I made my point about why Monaco wasn't the best F1 venue for modern F1 cars. I'd made it calmly, rationally. I'd done it before the race. So I'd done it the week before. And then I didn't complain much about it during the Monaco review. I was so scared that it was going to be like the one in 20 Monaco race where there's rain, uh, engine failure, only five cars finish. And people were going to go, ha,
2: Spanners, you're an idiot. Uh, People plucked out of the harbor. Yeah, no, I can imagine the anxiety. But thankfully for you, uh, normality reigned and it it was it was what it usually is. And uh, interestingly, even 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 people like Ross Braun are like, well, we like the whole thing. But as far as the race goes, you know, I mean, if they're the right changes, maybe we'll consider them.
1: Yeah, maybe. And actually, we've been hearing from some noises from the teams talking about the 2022 regulations that are saying, well, maybe this is going to bring back Formula One a little bit more into the kind of 2014, 2015 era, where actually at least we were getting attempts at Monaco. So if, if that's what the teams are thinking, maybe Monaco is kind of like a litmus test of whether the older European tracks can still be a part, a relevant part of the F1 circuit.
2: Yes, well, it's, it's always down to car characteristics, isn't it?
1: Well, this is a good time to remind you that we are an independent podcast produced in the podcasting shed with the kind permission of our better halves. We aim to bring you a race review before your Monday morning commute. We might be wrong, but we're first. We're joined by, I think, our youngest ever crew in the form, firstly, of Chris Stevens. How's it going, Chris?
3: It's going great, Spanners. Really happy to be back on the show. And my voice has just about recovered from Friday night commentary of the most recent round of the Missed Apex iRacing F3 Cup.
1: Oh, you're wonderful on that, Chris. People should search for Missed Apex Motorsport on YouTube. And people have nothing but nice things to say about your commentary, about Catman's commentary. And we were joined by Ellen Ellard on the mic. And I even had a go at commentating the fourth fun race where we did a bit of Tin Top Enduro.
3: Yeah, it's great to have a fantastic support team uh, around me. But honestly, you know, the commentary would be nothing without the, the, the great action that the whole field provides.
1: Yeah, and of course the great broadcasting from Uncle Steve from Steve Amy. So, Missed Apex Motorsport. Check out the link in the show notes and after this show, go and watch round four of our F3 iRacing Championship. Now, because Steve Amy, our video editor, is from Australia, he insisted we get a, another Australia a, Australia man in, and so we're also joined by Jonathan Simone. How's it going, Jono?
4: I'm um, all right. I'm very tired at 5 a.m. I reckon the sun's going to rise outside my window during the about midway through this podcast. So that's quite hilarious.
1: You're joining us from Melbourne, Australia.
4: Yep. 20 minute drive from Albert Park, my house.
1: Nice. So you having to stay up for awkward times for F1 races and for podcasts, I think is a suitable punishment for the fact that you live in paradise. And the people who banished you to that paradise live in perpetual cloud cover.
4: What, what does that mean? No, that's, this is sort of paradise. There's no place like home, but I tell you, there are some very beautiful places around the world I'd rather be at this time of the year. It is very cold in winter. No, it isn't. <laughs> it, is. it is. It's <laughs> three degrees right now outside. Celsius.
1: So it's our, awful. Our new friend Jono is telling us lies, but we will not tell you lies during the... Dirty news. Now we've got lots of news items to cover this week, but Chris, I've noticed a trend in F1 social media where people have started throwing out the most ridiculous and pointless stats. So we've had the kind of official F1 Statman guy on at Virtual Statman. Uh, Sean Kelly. He's an excellent stat guy. He provides Channel 4 and Sky TV relevant race statistics. But what we've started seeing coming out on social media at the moment is, oh, well, every time Charles Leclerc has had pizza for dinner, within a month, Carlos Sainz gets a a podium. And, And it's all stuff like that. It's all, oh, every time Sainz has got a podium... Lewis Hamilton finishes seventh. No, it happened two times. So we've just got these people like anomaly hunting and we're just being drowned in pointless statistics.
3: I do love a good pointless statistic, though. I think I love a good stat in general. Uh, My favourite one at the moment is that um, Hamilton and Verstappen are the same age that Schumacher and Alonso were in 2005 when they had their changing of the gods. So that clearly means that Max Verstappen is destined to win the world championship this year.
1: And what Max Verstappen is destined to win two world championships and then make a series of bad team decisions of where he goes to and fade <laughs> into obscurity. Could be. Could, Could be, be that. What do you make of a pointless stat, Jono?
4: Well, I mean, look, I come from a commentary background, so I know a lot of stuff. I've done basketball, commentary, motor racing, sim racing, everything. And the pointless stats... I mean, they bug me too. Anytime I come up with a stat, it's got to tell a story, really. So it can be, for example, hey, if there's a full moon at night and Spanners goes to sleep and he seems to win every race, well, that's just useless. But Spanners, if it means you get a good night's sleep because somehow the full moon gets you, you know, a nice eight hours, you feel better, and that's why you're winning, that sort of tells a story. It's a poor example, but you get what I mean. Sometimes it can be two players who's you know played on the same team in college it can be two drivers who are both drum artists on a on a music yeah. you know band or whatever you call it it can be something like that
1: when it's uh, stats that are like oh it's a head to head stat and uh, oh okay Verstappen tends to be better at Imola and he's won this team battle four out of five times but what we hear time and time again chris is like oh uh, no person from p4 has ever won the hungarian grand prix so lewis hamilton def it's always lewis hamilton so lewis hamilton definitely can't win this week it's like yeah because lewis hamilton happens to have not started fourth before he's probably still going to win then he goes and does it and you never hear about that stat again
3: so i think again context is key in that one so a uh, one like that for example my first thought would be Well, if you were starting fourth in Hungary, you're on the wrong side of the grid, meaning you're more likely to lose a (laughs) place at the start. And because it's very difficult to overtake at the Hungara ring, that probably then really hurts your chances of winning. When you just chuck the stat out randomly, it is pointless. And I I do agree with you. Sometimes those stats really are completely pointless. Things like starting from P-whatever. Well, generally, if you're not starting inside the top four, it's harder to win a race full stop.
1: It's. Uh, have you heard of the hot hands fallacy? I'll bet Matt has. You've heard of the hot hands fallacy in basketball?
3: No, yep. I, I don't know anything about basketball.
1: Yeah, so there's this kind of, uh, there's a feeling that the longer a streak goes on, the more likely the streak is to continue. And it's, it's broadly the opposite, isn't it, Matt? So whenever they have these statistics of, oh, the last five polls uh, here finished 14th, The more that kind of stat goes on, actually, the more unlikely it is. And just all this lack of understanding of the law of big numbers drives me mad. I just wanted to have a little vent about it.
2: Yeah, it's very much the roulette bet on black if you see seven reds in a row. Well, no, the next chance is still (laughs) 50-50 on either color, people. That's why they call it the house, and that's why you never quite win.
1: All right, so basically, just stop retweeting those stupid stats, everyone. Say Spanner sent you and told you to shut that down. Uh, Monaco, uh, we we only did an hour and 40 minute review, map for that Monaco Grand Prix. So obviously we didn't get all the all the scintillating
2: action. In. And all that overtaking to cover, you know, amazing.
1: Oh uh, yeah, there was, after lap one, yeah, there wasn't, not only was there not an overtake, there was not an overtake attempt. But d- did we miss anything? Did we miss any analysis? Because obviously we record on a Sunday night. And then we get frustrated on a Monday morning where when some crucial bit of information comes out and you go, oh, if only we were lazy, like for F1 sake podcast.
2: Yeah, well, I mean, I think a lot of stuff has come out uh, about Monaco. I don't know if you want to go through the tidbits of it or we can just uh, jump to the front of the line. Um, actually, um, we've got, I think my favorite um, tidbit concerns my Favorite non Mercedes driver, which would be Ocon right now, right? Who's actually uh, dedicating um, a lot of his newfound performance to his new engineering team, which I didn't know that he had. But uh, Mark Slade, who engineered for him last year, is now moved on to other things, and he's got Josh Peckett and Stuart Barlow doing that. Mm-hmm. Uh, we heard a lot about Lewis Hamilton's tires. You know, um, I, I was I was one who was very surprised that he was brought in so early. Um, Because he was saving his tires, but the uh, Mercedes debrief, um, I believe James Fowles said that he had at best two or three laps left on those rear tires before he was done. And we know that for the overcut, Gasly's tires were in fine shape. And in fact, Ocon making his overcut work was nine laps later. So it may have been Mercedes were out of strategic options at that point.
4: You know what I think right now? Is this going to give us a good representation of what Singapore is going to be like? Because the teams are going to sort of stop development halfway through the year. So if you want to put some money on Ferrari, I reckon you're in with a good shot for victory.
3: I, I think it would uh, be if Singapore was not about to get axed from the calendar, which is my <laughs> understanding. Um, obviously, you know, the, the calendar is still very fluid uh, with uh, with COVID ever-changing.
1: Okay, so that, I think that's a good general point though, Jono, which is that people were making a lot of conclusions about Monaco and I just I just felt like, no, just stop. Monaco's just this, like, one thing at the beginning of the season. It doesn't mean that that team is going to do anything. It's always been that way. Uh, but I think a bunch of people, Matt, were looking at, like, the Ferrari performance, hoping that that was indicative of something else. But even Ferrari have come out and said, just because we had good slow speed performance at Monaco doesn't mean we're going to have, like, oh, good Hungaro ring, turn one, turn two performance.
2: Yeah, and and the thing that, all of the people who've been covering the sport a long time, the point they make and is that Monaco is very much a confidence track. If you're confident in the car, you continue to find speed and you can be competitive. And if you're not confident in your car, then you will simply be nowhere, no matter what your engineers do, no matter what the car has, car's potential is. Ferrari obviously gave both drivers a car they were confident in, and the characteristics uh, of that car were particularly suited. To this track, but this track is very unrepresentative of any other track that's raced on the whole season.
1: So, to argue with our new panelists, just for the sake of it, I guess more than anything, Singapore it has similarities based on the perhaps the complexity of overtaking, but the corner profiles are very different. You're talking about very high straights into like stop ninety degrees point and squirt. So, I, I'm what is it that you think that will will is similar kind of setup wise? Or are we just talking street circuits in general?
4: Well, we're talking based on past reputation. You know, when you go to a circuit like Singapore or Monaco, uh, obviously, you know, I've seen in the past where some of those low speeds type of circuits really suit a car like the Red Bull, which is what we saw in the past. They've been very quick there. Mercedes have really struggled around, let's say, a track like Singapore. But here's my case. If we do end up going to Singapore and COVID doesn't remove the race from the calendar and everything, You've got a Ferrari track where, again, if they're very good in low-speed sections, and Singapore's not as slow as Monaco, you've got a real good chance for Ferrari to pick up another victory. Maybe Hungary as well. That's another track that relates to Monaco in a sense. That's what people call Monaco sometimes, is Hungary. It's like Monaco, but it's it's not a street circuit.
1: Chris, I've heard you use that phrase, to be fair, that Hungary yeah. is Monaco without the walls. It's not, not quite that because you don't have the same – like, you can – do you remember uh, Massa or was it Grosjean doing that overtake around the outside of turn two? And then he, he got told to give the place back and people were, uh, were up in arms. Because back then, if you remember, track limits didn't matter back then. Track limits very important yeah. now for whatever reason.
3: Yeah, no, totally. Just in, in terms of the yeah, the mindset driver has, for sure, very different to have the, the big runoff areas. But in terms of the actual layout and what is demanded of the car, uh, because there's there's really only you know one quick bit, uh, which is the front straight. The rest of it is the mostly low speed uh, corners, and uh, bits a big reliance on braking and, crucially, being able to use
1: curbing. Yeah, so so a bit of stability. All right, why are we yeah. getting, why are we getting to the Hungara Ring? That's miles and miles away. <laughs> We've got Paul Ricard, where you can just go anywhere you want. Coming up very very soon. I want to go back and circle back to your Ocon comment, though, Matt. It's it's lovely when we hear about. That immediate relationship with drivers and the teamwork—we kind of we get a little bit of it. We saw a little bit of the relationship with Massa and Rob Smedley, and there's a little bit of chat between you know Big Bird and Perez. But there's—I think it's an underplayed role because that's the guy who's constantly in the driver's ear. That's probably the team member that they spend the most sporting time with. So it is lovely of Ocon to turn around and go, "Actually, these guys are making a, a hell of a difference." In my performance,
2: it is, and I think he acknowledges them fairly because uh, I mean, I know a lot of people have talked about Schumacher 's engineer as well saying, "This is the person I always want to give me bad news <laughs> okay. just because his manner on the radio when, when dealing with the drivers who are under so so much stress when they 're on track it is just so smooth that he makes it possible for them to achieve more and um yeah so so it 's good to see the drivers acknowledging team members that normally don't get to share the spotlight.
3: But I cannot emphasize enough the importance of a relationship between the driver and the members of the team. I've been reading quite a a lot recently about uh, Sebastian Vettel's time at Ferrari. And it became very clear that the Ferrari team that he raced with was not the one he was promised uh, when he left Red Bull. And things like that can suddenly massively affect the way you perform on track, whether it's a confidence thing or it means you're don't get you you're unable to get the most out of the car. You're not given the tools that you need to get the most out of the car. It's really not just a simple thing of, mm. you know, there's the good car, now go and get a good lap time out of it.
1: I, I would love to know more about these dynamics. You know, does Lewis Hamilton take, uh, is it Peter Boddington? Bono? What's his surname? Are we always just say Bono. Is it Bonington?
0: It's bon- Bonington.
1: Yes. Yeah. Bonington. Does he take Bonnington skydiving with him chris like he did like see you think you're you're telling me that oh i just read this thing actually you have a bit of an inside knowledge on the relationships of drivers and teams because you're a pr man and you do all the clever tweets for the teams and by the way you did a missed apex tweet and told me that you you channeled your inner spanners and i read your tweet and i went I could 100% have written that. I felt very seen. I felt very vulnerable. I went, Chris has seen into the very soul of me and put it into Twitter.
3: I think it, yeah, I think it was a very good tweet. Well, it's, well. it's what you do for a job.
1: <laughs> this is what you do for a job now. So you have a lot of inside um, knowledge and you know a little bit about the personalities and, and how the teams have to handle drivers. So when you see an Instagram of Lewis Hamilton mid season, scrapping for a title, he's just lost the World Championship lead and he's like fully just. Diving out of a plane and by the way i if you saw the video on instagram that was not his first time jumping out of the plane that was some sick moves he was pulling he's really good at skydiving from a pr point of view like i just i I can't help but feel like that mercedes are going i wish you'd not jumped out of a plane at all that that's just that's what we want
3: no okay so from a pr point of view i would 100 percent be pushing to get really cool stuff like that out like my dream is to be able to get my drivers to go and do something on the monza banking for example you know like yeah it's really <laughs> dangerous but look at what it'll be a really cool video when we get it done um if i were the team boss i would have a hundred percent different attitude about that like especially when you think about uh, what's happened to to kubitz for example sure. right before he was going to have a what was set to be a pretty electric season, the Lotus, back in 2011. And of course, he didn't tell the team about his World Superbike test either. Because Lewis, yeah.
1: They know. So hang on, wait, wait, wait. Lewis didn't tell Mercedes about his Superbike test?
3: Yeah.
1: And, and I mean, like, we're not going to gloss over. I'm not an expert or, on MotoGP. Obviously, they are dealing with the tragedy of losing a, a very young rider. That sport is absolutely brutal. With cars, you, will, you can see the ultimate safety limit. Like put yourself in a in a tank eventually, so you can see those trade offs with bikes chris it's it's I don't want to dwell on this because like i say I'm not an expert on bikes, but there is a hard limit on how safe you can make it, um as we've tragically seen in moto g p you know this this week, but for Lewis Hamilton to just go and have a go at that at the highest kind of level must have been a heart in mouth moment for Mercedes
3: yeah, exactly, so when they found out, I imagine Toto was not best pleased. Trumpets.
2: I hear there were some cell phones ringing off the hook when word finally got round to him and they were still in the midst of it. And I mean, to be fair to Lewis, he did only put the bike down once. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. yeah. I was going to say, if I was Toto Wolf and I saw that on social media, I'd I'd be. Have we written that portion of Lewis's contract yet? Can we add some notes, please? Janet, is it too
1: late for an amendment in the, the Hamilton contract?
4: I, you know didn't kimmy once go snowmobiling or something ended up am i getting this wrong he ended up injuring himself or, or he didn't tell ferrari am i getting this wrong there's surely a kimmy fan there's a hundred thousand kimmy fans <laughs> someone can confirm this trump
2: mark webber injuring his shoulder mountain biking is that your australian accent that is so racist you
1: know, sorry horrible. about that Jono. i'm Trumpet really Trumpet not
2: the least bit australian
1: he was no, trying an Australian accent. I'm no, so no, sorry. No, no. I'm so sorry, Jono. Uh,
4: okay, I'll, sorry. Uh, go on. I'll give it a three out of ten trumpets. It's, it's, it wasn't It wasn't too bad. It could have been better. But you just need practice, I reckon.
1: Redeem yourself, just, trumpets. Let, let's finish our Monaco shakedown. Uh, did we miss any more bits and pieces?
4: Um,
2: just quickly going through the rest of it. We have Leclerc. Uh, his car, which there was a lot of controversy about why they didn't check the other side of the car after the crash. Um, I can tell you that back at the factory, they discovered the crack that precipitated this would not have been visually evident. They needed ultrasonics to actually find it. And as a result, they could not have preemptively replaced that part and park from A. So it was it was something that was going to happen despite um, Ferrari, even if Ferrari had done everything they could have That was still going to happen.
1: I don't believe them. It's just that that's exactly what you would say to to avoid saying we just missed a thing or we didn't change a thing. We didn't take a grid drop when we should have done. We should have just taken the whole back end off of the car, built a new chassis. You're obviously going to go, we had no chance of finding it.
2: Well, I mean, that's what you're going to say. But then maybe that's also what happened. Perhaps we'll never know.
1: Perhaps we'll, we'll never know. But it was definitely the thing
2: I said. It was. And uh, the last thing is, and and this, I sort of hesitate to bring this up. I've seen it on Twitter. It came out of an interview, I believe, in Motorsport Total, but I've not seen it reported in English language press that I trust. But apparently Helmut Marco has said that uh, Tsunoda is moving to Italy. Oh my God. Yes. And he's moving to Italy to be directly supervised by Franz Tost because they are not happy with the way things are currently developing. And I believe he lives in England at the moment. So we can talk about that a little bit if you like. So this
1: quote-unquote punishment for Yuki Sonoda is he's being relocated to Italy. Oh, no, lovely weather and the best pizza you'll ever eat. Part of this, because it feels like a punishment, by the way, part of this punishment is extra go-karting, which, again... Like, what a life. Um, But yeah, so so there you go, Chris. If you mess up today, I'm going to send you to Italy to eat pizza for free and go go go-karting.
3: It's it's a weird thing. I I don't really remember this happening to anyone else where it got to the point where they are, quote, under the personal supervision of the team principal, which sounds very bizarre. That's more the punishment aspect. Uh, of it. I mean, clearly that there's something that they're not getting out of him. And it's worth remembering that he is still very young. He's 21 years old. He spent minimum time in the junior formula, really. So he's come up through the ranks pretty quickly. They have a lot of work to do with him off track to make him very good or even better on the track.
1: I'm nervous about how we treat this because Yuki Sonoda is Asian. He, it's The English is probably pretty far away from his first language. He is emotional and he's forthright on the radio. But it just feels mad. And tell me, tell me if I'm being, like, overreacting or whatever. But when Max Verstappen came through, he was also a young gun, very vocal, especially in interviews. He was not shy about saying, oh, calling out other people, saying very aggressive things. He had the backup, though, of Jos Verstappen, who was saying those similar things yuki Tsunoda now needs apparently adult supervision is
2: i i'm not even sure what i'm trying to say it just feels a bit odd it does because i can't ever think of this ever happening to any other driver although with the caveat that my formula one knowledge in some ways is a lot more limited than a lot of people because of the times i paid attention and the times that i didn't pay attention because over here in the u.s not always a thing to watch formula one um, and yeah, I mean, let's not forget, Verstappen pretty much took a swing at Ocon a couple of years ago. And his punishment was he had to go to a Formula E race. And I, did he even do that, Chris? Do you remember?
3: Yeah, he did. He did. He was uh, helping out the stewards in that race.
2: I had to pay money to
1: go to a Formula E race. And that was that was his punishment. So maybe, Matt, there's something we're not seeing, something extra. But yes, he has been vocal on the radio. Not a new thing for a young F one driver or a young Red Bull driver. He made those terrible comments, poorly judged about having the same equipment as Gasly for sure. But again, nothing near the shades that other Red Bull drivers have thrown. It feels extreme. If there must be something else behind the, the there's something else going on. Like, is he like just punching staff in the background?
2: Well, here's my worry. Right like I agree with you I I it can't just be the radio thing because the radio thing English not being his first language I would expect him to get tone entirely wrong a lot of the time or, and, or second it's not know,
1: it's not even like Europeans grow up with English being ubiquitous as well perhaps that's not the case for Sonoda you know he's he's come to English fresh was the point right. I was driving at
2: and he's willing to acknowledge that like his radio demeanor needs work he he has done so My fear would be that there is something that has happened that nobody knows about and Red Bull are moving him to keep it, to to keep him from getting into the kind of trouble that you don't want people that age getting into. I I mean, I don't, I don't know. I I mean, just like I'm imagining like a Mazapan scenario, only nothing gets leaked. So just to kind of expand on the the language thing, Sonoda only came to
3: Europe two years ago having only raced in Japan prior to that. So his first season in F3 in 2019 would have been his first time having to learn English. And what a lot of um, drivers who who learn English in a a racing environment in particular uh, don't learn is which words are rude words and which words are okay words, which is why a lot of them accidentally swear a lot of the time.
4: Jono. If we take one step further with this, what's happening next year with Alex Albon? Is he just not in the Red Bull program or Formula One anymore? Like, is his career over? At how old is he? Like fourteen years old? Isn't Alex Albon like he's so young? And we've shoved Yuki Tsunoda into the car who hasn't impressed. So so far, I, I'm confused there because if you keep Perez, you've got two more seats for Red Bull. And do you put Sonoda in another team? Do you get rid of Alex Albon forever? I'm thinking of the big picture here. Like, if Albon doesn't impress behind the scenes in Italy, I reckon that's it at AlphaTauri. I I reckon he doesn't get another shot.
3: I I can't see Sonoda going anywhere
4: anytime soon. He's their
3: next, you know, big thing. Maybe, maybe that's why they're they're doing this. They're being maybe a little bit overprotective because he is the next big thing for them.
4: Did he? Did he not finish? formula two in what was it eighth position in the championship in his first year was it not was it fourth
3: he was fourth or fifth he would have won the title if it was done feature races alone
4: yeah he was very impressive but also i mean i understand there's a bit of a lottery with formula two and everything but when i watched it i didn't feel like he impressed me that much not not to take it away from him i don't think he's the next max verstappen i think he's good but i don't think he's as far as i've seen compared to alex albon like I feel like they're the same driver so far. Uh, Matt,
1: I, I, looking at the chat room comments, let's just be careful that we're not misinterpreted. I bring up where he's come from in the world, only in that it is a, a big departure. And so there's a big cultural shift and things can be misconstrued. I think uh, Chris was alluding to there with like not knowing which words have a bit more effect but also we're looking at this with kind of British goggles where we expect everyone to be a bit prim and proper. Certainly like you know, my family, they don't have that kind of British reserve and they can sometimes come across as a little bit, you know, brash. If you and me are going to play badminton, a British person would say, oh, well, I will try my best. Whereas someone in my family might say, I, I am going to crush you at badminton. You are a fool for, for taking me on. And that is just considered, you know, fine and, and polite and banter. I'm sure the Aussies are the same as well. So that, that, the reason I'm alluding to that, someone said, oh, God, is this an anti-Asian thing you're suggesting? No, it wasn't. I'm just saying that the way Sonoda is presenting himself might be different to how another fiery young driver might do in Europe.
2: And you are absolutely correct. Uh, Tobias in a chat room suggests that it might be he's just lacking a social support network, which is yes. important for all drivers. He doesn't have an entourage, people telling him and, and advising him and helping him. And combined with the results not being where they expected, perhaps they just felt like a clean a clean start would be good for everybody. Chris, at least they
1: are doing something. So they're not going, all right, just go hang in the wind, son. They're saying, okay, come here, come and learn from the team principal, do your extra karting, have your pizza. It's not a give up job, but the fact that it's public as well does make it, it's advertising to the world, oh, we've seen this terrible issue. But he's not been Mazza spinning, has he? He's not been crashing into people.
3: No, uh, his biggest problem has been a little bit of under delivering and qualifying, uh, I think at the moment. The best thing about it really is that he can he can learn from the team uh like firsthand uh being at the factory but also the, the cultural thing that you bring up is very very uh big because i, w- I was reading something about how um Snowden likes to learn and you know maybe most engineers talking to a european driver they would just tell them what the problem is whereas yuki prefers a more visual approach just an example
1: excellent matt shall we shall we move on then from poor old yuki and his terrible horrible punishment i we had a couple of things from the monaco debrief ricardo and the indie rule should we talk Indy? which one do you want to do first
2: um Oh, I don't know. Let's do Ricardo real quick, and then let's do Indy.
1: Okay, so direct this fully uh, at Jono, because everything to do with Ricardo is his fault. We've not asked him yet. Jono, are you a big Ricardo fan? Is the whole nation behind him?
4: I'm neutral on Daniel Ricardo. Very neutral. I like him. I I don't hate him. I like him. He's a good guy, good driver. I'm not a fanboy.
2: We're literally a podcast that has Dutch journalists that aren't Verstappen fans and Australian journalists who are not Riccardo fans. Where do you find these people? Look, guys, look, I'm, I'm trying my best to, like, find people from
1: around the world. You're right. We've got Jules, who's not a Verstappen fan. We've got we've had uh, Flip come on, who's a Brazilian, who's not a Barrichello fan. So I don't know. I don't know what to do. I don't know what I'm doing wrong. Don't tell me you're at least not a Hamilton fan, Jono. That'll make people happy.
4: I, I am a Hamilton fan, which is why now, unfortunately, trumpets uh, and, and spanners. Thanks to you guys, we've unveiled I'm a Hamilton fan. My Twitter inbox is <laughs> off now. Like there would be so much hate. My Instagram, it's done. Um, you guys have ruined it. Do, do you
1: know what? Do you know what? You will possibly get a vocal minority of of people who like to kick off at people who openly support Lewis Hamilton. There's there's a bit of an underplayed dirty secret, which is that Lewis Hamilton is actually massively popular in the UK. If you are in a non-UK country and you look at Twitter and search Lewis Hamilton, you would be forgiven for thinking that he's not a popular guy and that everyone hates him somehow in Britain. He is massively popular. It is a vocal m- minority that that is determined to set out against him. But go to Silverstone. Go and get yourself to Silverstone on Grand Prix Day, Jono. You are in no doubt Lewis Hamilton is very loved in Britain.
4: Hey, you don't crowd surf like that unless you're loved.
1: <laughs> Absolutely. And someone's saying that everyone's a Vettel fan, admit it. No. <laughs> but kind of a bit now. Yeah. Yeah, what's up with that, Chris? Kind of. Like I oh you t- you tell me, you tell me eight years ago that someone's gonna put in the chat room, oh, everyone's kind of a Vettel fan. And I'd have gone, no, you're joking. But, you know, I, quite, I like it. Maybe it's just because he's old and chilled out. I like his dad think, vibe.
3: Yeah, yeah. I, I think he, he, he's allowed to kind of show the personality a little bit more. Um, or at least it's been easier for us to see that personality come through. Whereas maybe when he was winning races with Red Bull, um, that opportunity didn't come up as much. It sounds pretty crazy to, uh, to say. Um, but certainly we've taken more notice of him off track uh, since he left Red
4: Bull.
2: That room is saying Lewis is so popular, we talk about him during a Ricardo segment. <laughs> oh, yeah, it's the Ricardo segment. Uh,
1: <laughs> should we do the Ricardo what? segment then? Matt?
2: <laughs> yeah, well, as, as we all know, uh, Monaco is a place that Ricardo loves. And it is also a place where he did absolutely terribly, at least by his own standards. And so we have gotten yet another round of... It's just a hard car for the poor man to drive it 's just taking him a long time to get on top of it. But what we did was we talked to our driver analyst Bradley Philpot, about some of the reasons that might actually be the case, and I preface this by saying these are just general observations that he made and not specifically problems or he's encountering. He hasn't done a serious side by side analysis, but he said things like you know simple things like just the smoothness. With which you apply lock the compromise between low mid-corner speed and early throttle on exit now what's interesting about this is we've heard that the Renault power unit is particularly good at low rpms and so he's might be used to getting in sooner being slower and getting on throttle more aggressively and now he's in a car where you have to carry higher minimum speed in and be more delicate with the throttle For example, and then the problem you have is with someone like Ricardo, he's been with that power unit his entire Formula One career. And so making these changes, they don't sound like much, but when you're dealing with the 20 best drivers in the world where the margins are in the thousandth of a percent, even something as small as that can really set you back, especially if your teammate is on it.
3: Yeah. So Lando being amazing this year has not helped uh, Ricardo's on-track image um, there was a really fascinating video by the race about what specifically Daniel has been struggling with. And um, it seems to come down to the fact that this year's McLaren has a loose rear end at in you know in the higher speeds, um, and particularly under braking. And we know that you know that's such a crucial part of the corner, and, and the way Daniel likes to to brake is just not the way the car is able to to, to get the maximum out of the performance. So um, so he's currently being coached corner by corner during free practice over the radio and say, well, you know, try uh, try breaking harder initially and then turning in uh, this way or, you know, bleeding it off in this method, et cetera. Et cetera. you remember all, all the, the ridiculous amount of coaching drivers were getting in. I think it was 2016 um, that led to the that, temporary you can say Roshberg, you ban. can say
1: Rosberg. It's OK.
3: I think it was mainly Rosberg that was that sort of prompted it, and it, it led to this temporary ban on that kind of chip. chat and, and ironically,
1: right. the person who struggled the most when they did that was Hamilton, where they were yeah, like, oh, pr- what button should I
2: press? Oh, we can't tell you. I'm just going to press all the buttons then. No, 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 don't do that. <laughs> that was still the wrongest thing ever because Rosberg started with his button in the right position, and they just said, put it back where it was. Hamilton was in a completely different place, <laughs> and it was like, I don't know, three combinations of 10 to get the right combination. And they were like, no, please stop pushing the buttons before the car catches on fire.
1: (laughs) Five years and I'm not over it. Jono.
4: That was the first race at Baku too. So we're visiting there next week. It'll be good to talk about a little bit later on. But back to the Ricardo thing. Do you really think he's one second slower than Lando Norris? No way. No. And as good as Lando Norris is, there is something either it's mental with Daniel Ricardo or something with the car. If they change the chassis on that, you know, even if it's a placebo effect, is that going to help Danny Rick? We'll see. We just have to give him a couple more races because he is not one second slower than Lando Norris. Unless Lando Norris, I mean, he might be the greatest driver of all time. <laughs> Who the hell knows? Chris.
3: They just need to work out the style that works. Lando seems to have it down to a T. Daniel needs to readjust because he's having to learn an entirely new car and a whole new approach to a corner which is an awful lot of unlearning to do when you're in your 11th season of
0: Formula One now. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door go to bluenile.com and use promo code listen to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more that's code listen at bluenile.com for $50 off your purchase bluenile.com code listen a lot can happen in the next 3 years like a chatbot maybe your new best friend but what won't change needing health insurance united healthcare tri term medical plans are available for these changing times
1: If this was just Daniel Ricciardo struggling on his own in isolation, we would be having a very different conversation. But we've had five races of the, the 2021 season and every second driver has had challenges. So it's a bit of a perfect storm in that, yeah, a, we seem to have this type of car where the new driver isn't looking as good as the incumbent that they've come in and, and we're not talking about mugs here we're talking about Sebastian Vettel Daniel Ricciardo Sergio Perez all race winners so far Fernando Alonso race winner and champion as well uh who are who else has switched teams signs Fine. being signs being the outlier who's looked quite comfortable um and then we've had the two has uh fellas as well but for for Ricciardo in particular if Lando Norris Matt is just sitting there Pumping out results and being a little bit relentless with the results, then, then obviously that's going to make you look a little worse. If you look at Vettel, Stroll had a good, some good results early on, but then, you know, please don't at me. But reversion to the mean, Stroll does disappear in a lot of races, gives Vettel the chance to look a little bit better, even if he's struggling to acclimatise. That's what Ricardo's up against. I'm not saying that he's Lando Norris is the best driver ever. I think he's great. But he has been consistent. He's been a bit relentless in his form. Uh, You know, Barcelona aside, that's what Daniel Ricciardo's up against. So I'm definitely, definitely not writing off Ricciardo. He's going through the process. He's a great driver. And he's definitely not a second lap off of Lando Norris
2: and let's just remember monaco again is a confidence track and he is not going to be the least bit confident when the braking doesn't work like he's used to when the car doesn't feel like he's used to when the power unit works entirely different than he's used to monaco is going to magnify that particular gap and i think for all the second drivers signs is really the only one who seemed to be on it um aside from vettel which seems want- like he's getting up to speed like well not even get up to speed aston is been bringing a ton of development to this car so much so that i'm a little concerned about their 22 project but they've been bringing a ton of development and it seems to be helping vettel settle down in the car and begin to extract the potential from it
1: well maybe chris ricardo would be all right if he'd stay in one team for more than five seconds journeyman am i right
3: maybe but i think we also need to remember as well these new drivers they got a day and a half with their new teams before the season started a day <laughs> yeah, and a yeah, half yeah, yeah, there's that. <laughs> and one of those days was written off by a sandstorm if we had yeah, reliability yeah, yeah, problems yeah, yeah. like aston did then there's the rescue testing screwed it's been a bit of an uphill struggle for a lot of these guys and no wonder
1: all right okay cool i think we'll look at one of those other drivers in a bit more detail after uh, we address the indycar thing matt you at the beginning of the show decided to advertise a major sporting event that people should go and watch instead of tuning into our live stream there's been a matt, i've been watching the figures of the live stream by the way insane for the monaco grand prix we had are you ready for this we had twelve thousand people drop in for just the live stream element of the monaco grand prix
2: that actually terrifies me yeah, it's, it's hard for me to imagine there are 12,000 people who would ever want to listen to me do anything.
1: I mean, the total, like, you know, the average minutes watched was a little bit lower. So clearly a lot of people tuned in and went, well, these guys are idiots. But still, that just that does show the draw the Monaco Grand Prix has, which which is a bit of a shame because you want those new fans to come in and see an absolute blaster of a race. Instead, they've tuned in and gone, oh, is that, is that F1? Okay.
2: Yeah, I know, but, th- but there's always the shots of the, the yachts and the country and the sea. And, and Monaco has never been much about the racing for the last 20 or 30 years anyway. It's like the whole package, the glamour and the glitz. People turn in for that kind of drama too.
1: All right. Okay, what were we talking about before I got sidelined into... Oh, yeah, the IndyCar thing. So you're trying to get to get people to tune out of our live stream. But you can watch it, by the way, if you're a podcast listener by searching for "Miss Apex Podcast on YouTube. Subscribe, like, everyone, please, subscribe and like, and click the little bell thing. You'll get a notification when we go live. You can join us for Sunday. Join us in the live chat room, and you can chat like Matteo there has just said, a good chance the Vettel will be on top of Stroll by the end of the season. I'd say very good insight, Matteo. Frank, open. I'm just reading random ones now. Max needed just one GP to get used to the car. Different era, perhaps, as well and Colts Marshmallow, I love these usernames, signs will have driven the older Ferraris, though that would have helped with the comparison to the others. So you can add your insight to the show by joining us live. But if you're a video viewer, also go check out the podcast version so you can listen while you're mowing your lawn. Now then, should we adopt the IndyCar style rule that says if you have a yellow flag incident that affects qualifying you should somehow be punished for that. John, what do you reckon? If you, are you a you're a commentator, you're a sim commentator, so you've you've got your your handle around lots of different motorsports. What does IndyCar do that F1 might learn from?
4: So this red flag rule that IndyCar's got. So let's say Charles Leclerc crashes in Q3. From what I've understood from this rule, it's a little bit complex, is that had Leclerc crashed in Q1 or Q2, and correct me if I'm wrong, he would have had his time deleted For that session. So that means he starts at the back. Or what does it mean for Q3? Is it different for Q3 though?
2: So it's a little bit complicated uh, because IndyCar doesn't map directly onto Formula One. Uh, But in essence, in the first two sessions, if you cause a red flag and that interrupts qualifying, you lose your two fastest laps you've already put up and you don't advance to the next qualifying session. In the last session, you lose your you lose your you lose your fastest time and you're i think maybe not allowed to continue participating although a lot of times because that red flag is caused because you've driven your car into a wall that's sort of like pointless but but the main thing is you you can't do what leclerc did which is throw caution to the wind and then throw a little extra caution to the wind and then add some more wind <laughs> drive your car into a wall and and yeah. And and stop anyone else from beating your time and not suffer a consequence for that.
1: It's a good point, Jono, because the Leclerc model tells you that if you are P1 at the beginning of Q3, just go for it. Win or bin, baby.
4: Yeah, of course. And it, it's the Rosberg model too. <laughs> yes. It's the Michael Schumacher Bottas model. Bottas has from done it as well. Bottas you has done it, yeah. Know? And if anything, with Michael Schumacher, his times got deleted. He had to start from the back of the pack. So that's technically sort of the rule simulated 15 years ago when Schumacher parked it at Rascas. He had to start at the back along with Massa. And, and that's sort of what we'd have today with Charles Leclerc.
1: Okay, but Chris, that was a punishment for a deliberate action. What we're talking about here is if you accidentally cause something, what should yeah. happen?
3: And the the Schumacher one was very blatant and the stewards saw right through it as well. The Rosberg and Leclerc ones have been a much more grey interpretation. But um, I, I think if you just add three minutes after the red flag, that gives everyone time to do an outlap and a flying lap and it's a a bit, bit more simple, bit more elegant solution, really. It's something that Formula E does. Uh, if they have a red flag in the session, the car that brought out the red flag stays in the pits, everyone else goes out and, and gets their laps in.
1: Yeah, but in Formula One, we give everyone enough energy to finish the race. So,
3: Yes, that's very true. Oh, but I do agree, you, you can afford to have a Monaco-specific rule. There are specific rules that apply to the Le Mans 24 hours. There are specific rules for the Indy 500 as well. Why do we, not have, why do we ha- have to have rules that apply to the entire Formula One World Championship, including Monaco, which is unlike any other race
2: on the calendar? Annoyingly, you have taken my point from me, which <laughs> is essentially, yeah, for street circuits, I think this rule makes an awful lot of sense because you've mentioned all of, all of the very clear outliers where people have guaranteed themselves pole position, except for Schumacher, who's actually punished for it. Through through these kinds of actions and and although clearly you can't say in any one case, it was de- definite and intentional except for Schumacher, which again was blatant uh, it, after after the other incidents start to pile up, you begin to wonder a bit. Uh, you know, about how much exactly people are getting away with. So, and this rule would yeah. absolutely put an end to
1: it. Max Attack just points out there, Rosberg's was grey? Question mark, question mark, question mark. I actually missed. If one, Did one of you say that Rosberg's one was a grey area? Is that you, Chris?
3: Yeah.
1: Mate, put the crack pipe down. That well, was not grey area. Was a he punished area. for it? No. Was he punished for it? Then well, it was grey. Oh, <laughs> he, oh, he, re- <laughs> he reversed. Right, I'm not having this. It's not 2016 again. We were on a break. That's the kind of levels we're at at the moment. Jono.
4: Have we discussed what would happen if it was a technical issue? So let's say, you know, Leclerc's engine failed and he parked on the track and it wasn't an accident and everybody else loses their lap time. Does that still count towards deleting your times and qualifying?
3: That's why I think the just adding time at the end of the session works a little bit better.
4: The, the problem with that, though, is if track conditions change. So if you go back to 2011 oh, at Monaco, a yeah. bit of an extreme because that was like a 40-minute red flag when, when Perez crashed and nobody could improve their times. But, you know, it's only three minutes. It's only four minutes. But the track does cool down. Something can be different. So I don't know. But I know what you're saying. The three minutes idea is cool. But at the end, at the end of the day, if you're a driver, just don't crash. The, the solution's there. Don't crash. And we don't have to deal with this.
1: Yeah. So we're talking about... When you crash and it's to your advantage, and that's probably the one thing we missed, Matt, uh, in our race review, was the fact that, yeah, you don't actually have to crash deliberately, but you can just not care because you're in P1, and also you happen to be ahead of all the cars that are trying to qualify behind you. So that, that's the tactic now, because it didn't get stamped down on in any way, shape, or form. When you're P1 after uh, the first run of Q3, make sure you get out of the pit lane first for the second run and just go for it, like, just with complete abandon. Uh oh, Chris, wrap it up. Light bulb.
3: For us. Light bulb moment. Yeah. S- send them out in the opposite order. So say you have to go out in the uh, opposite order after your first <sighs> runs.
1: Oh, so then you're but then you're splitting Q three into Q 3 and Q three point
3: five. Yeah, but it, it's Monaco and all the the ah, support races, okay. you're not allowed to send all the cars out in qualifying in one go, you have to split them up into two groups. So
1: A Monaco specific, Matt. That's what you said. We're combining the points now.
2: Yeah, well, and this is interesting because Braun himself has said that they would be open to specific changes at Monaco to make things more interesting. We had Alonso in an interview suggesting that they perhaps have special tires for Monaco Mm -hmm. if they don't have any place else. So it makes sense if for the purposes of the business, we are going to continue to go to Monaco no matter what well, then where's the harm in coming up with some rules for that one track that is so different to every other that might make it a little more interesting? I mean, it wouldn't hurt to try, like, you know. Could
1: we just take, you've got to take the wings off.
3: Yeah. Well, rules, sporting rules, 100%. Let's bring in some Monaco-specific ones. Tyres, good luck trying to sell that idea to Pirelli who have to manufacture and make them for this one-off event. I don't think that's going to go down so well.
1: Alright, I mean, or we could not race at Monaco because F1's clearly outgrown it. But whatever, who am I? I'm just a guy in a shed, you know. I'm not. I'm not getting wined and dined. If I ever was lucky enough to be, you know, invited into the elite of F1 media and I was sipping champagne from the Duchess's glass slipper, then I will probably be sitting here and changing my tune. But for now, just suck it. There's no solution right now as to how to make Monaco a good, viable sporting event. Just suck it for a bit. Until you work it out. If you find a solution, Matt, that's great. But until then, just give it a chill. There's Hockenheim and, uh, and uh, Nürburgring GP track. They used to take a year off. Let Monaco take a year off.
2: Well, yeah. I mean, except for that's where all the business happens. So the money people are never going to be happy. And, about and that. money,
1: you're saying money is important and influences what people say and how they talk about a track F1 in the, is the press. A marketing
2: business, first right. and foremost. Okay.
3: Yeah, I think I made
1: this point last year, but the Monaco Grand Prix is the
3: most watched race it is. of the year. Yeah. It is where you get all of the sponsors turning up. It's where all the deals happen. It is financially and commercially uh-huh. the most important race on the calendar. I think we can live with the risk that it might be a little bit boring every, like every once in a while yeah, that's fine
1: but i can save them some money on the tv broadcast next year i will just put some beads on a string i will hold the left one up higher at the start and then i will drop that down and i will just let you watch 20 beads fall slowly to the left and i'll charge you whatever a billion bucks i, I don't know how you can possibly compare that to the art
3: of weaving a formula one car between onco no, barriers it's exactly anyway.
1: like beads on a string sorry johnny did you have a point to get in there
4: uh, no okay. i was just wondering why in the world monaco is the most watched race i understand it's why because but like, it's the most publicized
1: it, it's the pr machine i think matt it's the most publicized event of the year as well
2: yeah i i and and it has the weight of tradition think about how many terrible awful things we suffer through just because they are a tradition yeah movie night at my child to school you know i mean these things are legion in an adult life turkey
1: turkey for christmas by the way that's an america that's your fault america
2: thanksgiving for us thank you very much
1: we used to have gooses for christmas here in europe because of you we have turkey and it's dry as hell and you just have to pour tons of gravy over it i digress which we never ever do on mistake podcast i want to talk about european tracks so i want to Mix that in with looking forward to Baku. I just want to do a little tiny bit of feedback first. So, last week out, I talked about a guy who said he was from Australia. He went, Oh, Struth, mate, why are these guys trying to get money on Patreon? I'm not listening anymore. All they do is try to survive in a cutthroat world against people with tons of backing. It's like, Yeah, is yeah, true. How dare we try to attract some funds when we're trying to compete with the likes of WTF1, Autosport Motorsport.com, ESPN all those guys, all excellent publications masses of masses of of backing and those guys use their podcast as a loss leader like they basically pay for their podcast to add to their content we wouldn't survive without asking you guys for your Patreon support, Uh, we got another iTunes review from Britain from Ewan who said, he said, Matt, this is great. He said, um, five stars. But frankly, this free F1 podcast spends too much time talking about F1. It should have more adverts for its own Patreon and sports car uh, and sponsors. Five stars, though, in it. Thank you, Ewan. That made my day that you heard that review and decided to counter it on the iTunes reviews. So if you want to leave us an iTunes review, just go to iTunes, uh, click on it, and there's a little thing there five stars. You can slate Matt's face all you want. Just please, five stars. It really helps us out.
2: It does. And my face is fair game because I've stuck it out there for everyone to see. I mean, it's it, you can you
1: can tell all the seasons you've been through with that face, Matt. That is a weathered face. You've yeah, seen stuff.
2: It's just, it is what it is. What can I say?
1: And also, we've had some fantastic feedback. I won't read out all here, but I just want to say thank you to, uh, to Michael. Uh, thank you to uh, MFA Looked. Uh, Thank you to Lewis Frode and uh, Nikki Burridge. Uh, We will do more feedback kind of segments, um, especially in our Patreon pod, but I just want you to know that I've I've read those positive emails and they've really, really struck a chord. If you want to join us in our Patreon Slack group and join us for those Patreon-only episodes and live streams, please go to patreon.com forward slash Missed Apex and support an independent podcast creator. So, it's not controversial that Silverstone is absolutely the greatest track in the F1 calendar. We all know that, Chris. We can sit and have a debate, but it would be be a waste of time.
3: Absolutely. No, I love Silverstone more than you do.
1: No, I love Silverstone more than you do. I've got a flag. I've got Union Jack here in the background, which proves I love Silverstone more than you. There's... A few European tracks that are really great, and I think Silverstone always provides us with good racing. Uh, Paul Ricard is amazing, as we know. I'm joking. Uh, but like, like, oh, the red, like the Red Bull Ring, uh, Barcelona, it doesn't provide the good racing it did anymore. But these are all like old-school tracks. that historically have been fantastic. We are in the middle of the European season now, and I am starting to get the feeling, though, that as we outgrow these old traditional European tracks were starting to suffer from just a little bit of tradition. Like Matt said, we start with some flyaways, then we come to Europe for like the bulk of the opening part of the season. And it doesn't, it doesn't always deliver. You know, look at the schedule at the moment. We had Barcelona famed for not being a great track for racing action. Portimao perhaps got a little bit lucky. Imola definitely suffers from a lack of overtaking. Monaco Paul Ricard, that's okay, but that's because, you know, the runoff is literally concrete for miles, like airport style. But we've got Baku, which is hit and miss. And we just, I don't know, are we hurting the F1 calendar? We as if we've got a decision in it. But are we hurting the F1 calendar by overhyping and over-prioritising the old European tracks?
3: Okay, hyping, yeah, hype is a dangerous thing. Hype is the worst thing that you could possibly give... To anything because you will just get disappointed in the end. But I think, well, Silverstone's a great example because it has evolved so much in its uh, glorious history. I mean, the circuit is, you know, it's almost unrecognizable compared to what it was back in 1950. And it's, it's grown uh, with Formula One and adapted to its needs. Um, I would say a lot of other European tracks have also done the same. I mean, the Red Bull Ring is very different to what it was back in the 80s. Again, it's just a completely different track at this point. Um, Hockenheim has also been uh, revitalized massively. Mostly these things are like safety concerns, but I don't think that this now means they produce bad races. I think the Austrian Grand Prix is generally one of the highlights of the calendar. Hockenheim is always a race I really look forward to most of the european tracks i greatly look forward to i think the the fact that we had you know imola imola and portimau well these are just kind of offbeat ones because they're kind yeah. of a little bit left emergency almost year. yeah so um but then again i have enjoyed every race this season so i ultimately I don't think it really matters where you're racing so long as you end up getting good races. And it is entirely possible to have a good race anywhere. No matter what, doesn't matter what track it is, a good race is always possible in the the right set of circumstances.
1: Everyone's yelling Spa. Sorry. Yeah, I forgot to mention Spa. Uh, But I, I just wonder, Jono, from a Antipodean point of view, do you see a European bias in F1 when it comes to track and calendar selection?
4: Well, not bias in a negative way. I mean, there's bias because that's where Formula One originated from. It, it's European. And I think it should sort of have that kind of bias to it if you've got great circuits around there. But at the end of the day, I don't care where Formula One races. I was about to say where we race. But again, we're not part of Formula no, One. No, no, no. We, we can do the Royal We. It's fine. We can do the we. But, you know, it doesn't matter where you race. I mean, you want those classic circuits, but if the cars are competitive, the field's close, you've got the best drivers and you're at the pinnacle of motorsport and you can actually race and overtake, let's go anywhere. Let's go to Monaco if we can overtake.
3: I think, well, it's easier to have European races, especially now, you know, with COVID, it's a lot easier to travel around Europe because it really doesn't mean much flying for the equipment and the cars. Um, but in, in normal years, let's, let's call them, I think it's important to maintain the world championship aspect of it. So to race in Europe, in Asia, the Middle East, Australia, uh, and, and America, North and South, we're missing a, uh, an African uh, race. And there's obviously talk of Kyle Army coming back in South Africa. That would really, that would check the final box for me, really. I would sacrifice a lot of the races we currently have on, the calendar i've made my point about this several times that we could very very easily go down to 18 races and have a quality quality over quantity calendar
1: oh okay right hold that thought for a second um mr aj scotty in the chat room says it's not biased it's historical i I get that and i think uh, jono's made that point as well however the fact that it's all packed up at the beginning of the season. I think if you if you mixed it up a little bit more, logistics aside, magic logistics, Chris. Like I'm just saying, you could split up Monaco, Barcelona, Baku. That's that's all I'm saying, Chris. Then Matt.
3: Right. Well, yeah. You you have to have most of the European races together, and the races per continent together, because yeah, unfortunately, we are bound by the rules of the real world, and so logistically does just make sense and the logistics are the most financially important part they're the most expensive part for the sport and for the teams so it does make sense to
2: to do that there was a proposal a while back that people were floating that we should have three regional championships as part of the world championship so there'd be like a european an international Mm. a north american to give the team something extra to fight for. Yeah, as that far sounds as 18 terrible. races it sounds yeah. great, but how are we going to pay the bills with that?
1: No, okay. There's, can I can I float a theoretical, can I a hypothetical situation? Yeah. All right. Let's say that um that, that we have the option to double up on as many tracks as we want. Would, would it be a better championship? Not politically, not logistically, Chris. Would it be a better championship if we just said, "Okay, do you know what? Red Bull rings brilliant let's let 's have two races there let 's always have two races at silverstone let 's always have two races at hungaro ring for let 's always have two Cotas, two Interlagos's, zero Abu Dhabi's, and if minus one monaco if at all possible
3: no no i think even the best tracks are capable of producing bad races let 's look at the what was it called last year? The 70th anniversary Grand Prix and the British Grand Prix from last year. One race was brilliant. One was a bit of a snoozer. Let's be honest. And, you know, you can try and do these things like, oh, we'll have different tyre compounds. We'll have a different rule per two different weekends. But ultimately, just just have the one, move on to the next one.
1: Jono. Th- sorry. I'll
4: so, what, oh, I was going to say, sorry, on that note, I was saying... The rarity of having 18 races, like I like that idea, Chris, because if you have 23, 24, I know cash is king and we want to visit all these European circuits and different venues in the world, but just the rarity of Formula One better. So if you visit Silverstone twice, it's not as exclusive. It's not as rare. It makes mm. Silverstone feel like, oh, we go there all the time. You know what I mean? But if it's just one race at Silverstone every year, you look forward to it more and and it's more exciting that way. The same way if you have, let's say, Now, I'm making something up. If we had seven races for an F1 World Championship, which I hope to God we don't, but it would make every race a big deal. When you have 24 races on the calendar, you're like, oh, here we go. Let's just watch this race. I've got to go back to work tomorrow. And you just get it over and done with. Like, it's a job almost.
1: Well, the thing is, Matt, these two don't have kids. So we've manufactured a situation where we get left alone for a Grand Prix. So I say 52 Grand Prix a year.
2: Yeah, well, the more the merrier to the point where... The money isn't worth the extra effort. No, to me, if we're going to run extra races at tracks, they should be tracks where we can have remarkably different layouts. And I believe we did that at Bahrain last year. And, you know, accepting the notable Grosjean crash, which isn't really a part of it, it was pretty interesting to see the entirely different layouts and the way the teams approach them. So if you want to do double headers, I would argue we should do them at tracks where you can have distinctly yes. different layouts so we avoid the problem that um jonathan talked about silverstone's got
1: like 18 different layouts so you're just proving my point so there you go chris we'll have one grand prix on the national circuit we'll have one on the far side circuit and one on the grand prix three silverstones sorted
3: no, i I'm, i love silverstone but for me the the grand prix layout is the only the only one i want to see formula one cars on and then of course there is the the terrible notion that you can end up with more than one race at paul ricard which nobody wants
1: it's got lots of different layouts.
3: It does. I don't but I don't I don't want them.
1: I don't want to see them. So just do me a favour at Paul Ricard. Just put up like a line of massive polystyrene. You know the polystyrene things they have at the runoff at Monza? Have yeah. those to just indicate four meters away from the track. Just how it can't cost that much to just have that all the way around the outside. Because on the TV cameras, you're watching the cars coming towards you, Chris, and you just go. And now the car's disappeared and you can't see the braking points. Just put up some big foam things. That'd be all right. I, I, I should
3: stress that in Formula 2, Formula 3 and GT racing in particular, Paul Ricard's pretty mega. But in Formula 1, it just it doesn't seem to work yeah, for some reason.
1: No. But what, I, I think if it wasn't TV, map, Paul Ricard kind of works as a racetrack. Drivers go for overtakes, but it just visually, it hurts the viewer.
2: You are 100% correct. The problem wow. is the viewer can't figure out where the track yeah. goes, and that makes it not fun to watch. But you know what Paul Ricard does have?
1: Ice cream. Sprinklers. Oh. Oh.
2: <laughs> whoa, 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 whoa. No, wait, wait. no,
1: no. No, no, hang on. It, what, wait, let's get the technical side of this out of the way. Matt, are you lying? Does it literally have sprinklers?
2: It does for have where, sprinklers. That's where, where they tire test?
1: Chris, st- Chris, don't do this. Don't do this to me. Don't come in here and be all like, oh, no, the purity of the sport. Don't do it. They've, they've literally got sprinklers available. It's
3: nothing to do with purity. It's just an absolute gimmick.
1: What if there's an accident? What if they accidentally do sprinklers? W- which driver do you like the least? Just uh, name the uh, driver uh, you'd like the least. Oh,
3: no, It's the same as everyone else. Come on.
1: Is it Ocon? You, so let's say oh, Ocon's, I, love, I love Ocon. But so, anyway. so Ocon's winning a race, and you're like, "Oh, I hate Ocon and all French people." And then they put the sprinklers on, and then you're like happy because Ocon's race has been messed up. Come on, man! No, no, don't. Matt, he's not. I couldn't get a bite out of him, Matt.
2: I, I, I'm trying. I'm doing my best here. I'm doing my best, John. No, I don't mind a bit of like people who, who are going like, "Oh, it's artificial."
1: We We've f1 is literally a made-up sport it can be whatever we want if there's random sprinklers at one track once a year that's part of it
4: yeah I mean, why can't we just make it a non-championship race make it reverse grid with sprinklers do something different i don't know just make it a fun race out of nowhere and don't count it towards the budget cap
3: yeah and, and let's have footballers play in a field of custard and have <laughs> rugby balls Made out of actual eggs, you know. Oh.
1: To be fair, rugby is random and pointless anyway. So rugby is a funny.
2: brilliant sport, and it, I will not
1: have you defame oh, it's it. Just cuddling with an egg.
2: The chat room is now suggesting coloured water in the sprinklers.
1: It's <laughs> dependent on who's winning. So if like Ferrari <laughs> are winning, it's like red coloured sprinklers. Yeah, man. Think of the think of the sponsorship. You know, if if like um if Seven Up was sponsoring it, do they still exist? You can have green sprinklers, Jono.
4: Well, you know what would happen? Like the engineers would probably say, Hey, it's gonna start sprinkling in 20 minutes, and there will be no sprinkling at all. Just like every race will get hyped up that there's <laughs> gonna be rain, and then no rain pops up at all. You'd have Crofty going, Oh, we could have
1: sprinklers any moment. And then it definitely doesn't happen.
2: We could have rain booths where the fans vote on whether or not there are sprinklers.
1: Okay, I feel I feel like we've gone down a bad direction. So I'm just gonna I'm gonna bring this back. So apologies to anyone who we've lost in the last five minutes, but let's move forward to a little bit of a Baku preview, which is where I was going. I was hoping we would link nicely from uh, the conversation about the European leg of the calendar into a bit of a Baku preview, but mostly because of Chris, we got diverted down this sprinkler route.
3: Shall I make up for it by saying uh, well, I'm talking about why I love Baku so much?
1: Do it. Oh no. Okay, do it. I don't love Baku. I oh, okay. okay. So here's my. It's a street circuit essentially. I don't like it. I don't like the narrow bit in the middle past the castle because it just kills racing. I don't like the Singapore style point and squirt. I do like the 18 kilometer backs home straight. That is the only. That's the only redeeming feature. And then if somebody at the right point bins it into turn one, you get a safety car and you have an interesting race. There is a, a massive colore- cor- correlation in Baku between safety car and good race. No safety car, bad race. Safety car, good race.
3: I, I, I will agree. It's very hit and miss. I, I think if if my memory serves me correctly, we've had four races there. Two of them were amazing. Two of them were stinkers. So, uh... It's a bit of a lottery going into this one, but for me, it's kind of the perfect street circuit where it's plonked directly into the heart of a beautiful city and an incredible landscape.
1: All those they're cardboard cutouts, Chris. None of those buildings are real. They're literally they're drawn on. It's someone with a pencil and a spray can. Fantastic city with a beautiful (laughs) landscape. (laughs) PR. Look at that PR, Jono. Tell me, Baku. Who are you with,
4: me or Chris? Uh, I like it. I like it. I have to say it. It's a good look. You know what? It, even if there's one straight and that's where most of the overtaking happens, there's a nice little complex into turn one where, you know, the wall cuts in at the last second. So it's like open on the exit when you break and then there's a wall yeah. out of nowhere. The races have been good. And, uh, you know, as as Chris said, we've had two stinkers, two great races, but I just want to see a safety car restart this year. If we have one, we probably will have one where we don't have to restart right near the finish line. Maybe you'll make the drivers have to restart before that final left hander onto the straight turn 16. And then that will make for a great restart every time.
1: Uh, Chris, so- I'll, I'll, just, just to say to you for your 50-50 ratio, 50-50 exciting race versus Stinker isn't bad for a European track. I think that's a pretty good ratio, actually. So
3: Yes, uh, I think the lap itself is really cool as well. You've got that amazing first sector, great for, for battling and racing and overtaking. I remember the Red Bulls going hammer and tongs there a few years ago before they smacked into each other. The middle sector, much more technical, full of uh, really cool challenges. I do quite like that castle section as well. It looks great on TV, great driving challenge yeah, you're not going to get an overtake into there, but who said every single corner on every track needs to be an overtaking opportunity. Last sector is just bonkers fast with that quick double left-hander and that sharp braking zone that follows it as well. I think it's a cracking, cracking lap and a brilliant example of a, a modern street
2: track. So first of all, and for those of you who love tires, softest tires this weekend, yay. Second of all, I'm going to say any race where two competitors can be taken out because one of them reversed into the other is probably always worth watching on TV. But I'll tell you why I'm really going to watch this race this time around. And I, I don't mean to spoil it for all the talk about the track and the drivers and the excitement. The bendy wing saga is going to come to a head. fact, right. And I'm super excited to see if Mercedes follows through with its threat or just waits another week till they get to Paul Ricard.
1: Uh No, but the bendy wings is not like even an issue because Helmut Marco came on the media and was like, no, but bendy wings, no, but Mercedes front bendy wings. So it's not even like a big deal or nothing. Like you're making a big deal out of nothing. Mercedes bendy front wings are bendy back wings. Why are you getting at us, bruv? That is that's the Red Bull line. It, it, it does seem quite odd though, because it, from
3: what I can understand, most teams on the grid are running some sort of flexible wing and Mercedes bringing this up is surely just going to drag everyone into a whirlwind of torment and despair, including themselves. So where, where, what's the end goal here that only Red Bull get punished? I don't see that happening.
2: All the teams will have to spend money to meet the new yeah. tests.
3: Which they can't re- afford.
2: Yeah, cost cap, which is why... The FIA were ignoring Mercedes until Mercedes sent Lewis Hamilton on a publicity tour in Barcelona to put the issue on Sky TV. And now they did something about it. And they said, "Okay, we'll give you umpteen races to fix it. We'll have a new test. And Mercedes said, well, that's great. But that means the new test should be sooner because like we're not actually leading either championship right now and we have to win or we don't get to keep our goodies next season because the corporate behemoth that is mercedes will take them away from us
3: i was thinking it's quite um interesting timing that this is very much coming to a head when red bull have taken the lead of both championships for the first time in in 2013 it's it's, i mean i know this was going on a little bit before it was at
1: barca that it was highlighted
3: yeah, yeah, it's very true. It's just nice to poke fun at that a little bit. Um, but essentially, this this is all about, uh, I want a, a high downforce rear wing in the corners and a low drag wing on the straights. So how do you make a wing uh, do that? Well, it has to flex.
4: But what do we think? Like, I think that it's legal, really. I think it's legal. I think the, the rules have been interpreted differently by different teams. But I think what the FIA are doing is it, it, like introducing these stress tests like we talk about where now teams have to develop new front wings to, to comply with them. This is how much you know, intricacies this budget cap has now. It, it's so unique. You know. In, in, it, I've never seen anything like it you know, in terms of these protests because it's going to impact potentially next year as well if they have to spend too much money on this year.
1: Matt, it's the spirit of the rules which is apparently a thing.
2: And not when you're an engineer who designs objects that are tested with specific tests. Every wing that is currently being run, and I just need to be absolutely clear about this, every wing, front and rear, passes every test the FIA set up for it in the technical rules. Now, the FIA, after reviewing the evidence uh, that Mercedes put forth from it and ignoring it, was forced to confront it when Mercedes went on their PR offensive. And they said, okay, so here's what we're going to do. We're going to introduce some new tests, which is within the scope of the regulations. Now, every every team on the grid wing will have to meet these new tests. So if I'm Haas, I have to meet these new tests, which means I probably have to redesign my rear wing. If I'm Alpha, I absolutely have to. If I'm Alpine, I have to. Did I have that money in my budget? Probably not. <laughs> Probably,
1: definitely not.
2: But I definitely have to find it now. Now, if I'm Red Bull and I fire the counter-protest and they decide the same about the front wings, guess what? Everyone's going to have to pay that same money to redesign their front wings. And let's not be mistaken. The teams, all of the teams, including Mercedes, are playing games both with the front and the rear wings and with how much flex the main plane and the flaps have and everything else. That is a given.
4: Yeah. The way I understand it, then, is that the car's legal right now. So the the FIA, what they're trying to do is going to say, okay, from this race, from France, it's not legal anymore. So all these protests that teams are filing in, I don't think it's going to be like the racing point situation where Red Bull and Alfa Romeo and Ferrari and any other team that's flexing, and and I'm not this flexing, but you know what I'm talking about. They're not going to lose any points. I think it's something for the future.
2: Well, this is where the protest comes in by Mercedes. If they protest the wing and the wing is found by the stewards to violate the current regulations or it's banned, then potentially they do lose championship points, same for the front wing. If it goes that way against Mercedes and let's be clear, no one really knows what the stewards will decide, but here's your basic problem with formula one governance. These new tests are being given to us through a technical directive, which technically is an opinion of the FIA technical department. It's not an actual regulation, and it doesn't have force until the stewards rule on it one way or the other, and then it may or may not be appealed to the International Court of Appeals. And we saw this happen with Haas when okay. Reno yeah. protested their floor at Circuit of the Americas, and they wound up losing all their points in that race because uh, the stewards decided that they had breached the regulations.
1: Oh, okay, so Matt, for, from my point of view here, there was a test for the rear wings and Red Bull have passed that test. So there's a kind of a binary yes-no. Did you pass that test? Yes, so that's fine. If you are later have found to pass that test in a very, very clever way, I think that is, well, well done. You can't do that. We're going to now say you have to change that, but you can't take away points. That's very different to the 2014 Red Bull flexi-pipe after the sensor and whatever it is Ferrari allegedly did which is cheating the test, I think this falls under well done, you found a, a loophole, you passed the test and and you're good
2: yeah, it, well, it's a hundred percent that I mean they as much admit in the regulations, every part will flex under the kinds of loads that Formula One cars have at speed. Red Bull has very cleverly engineered their rear wing so that it flexes more than most, which yields them advantage but also causes them some problems. Same is true for the front
4: wings. Do you think as well that Toto's is trying to get in Christian Horner's head with these protests? Like, I know I don't know. 100%. It might cost them some money and some other stuff, but Red Bull, from reports I've heard, are uh, swiping about 50 Mercedes employees. Now, I don't know if that's true or not, but that's what I read today. Yep. And so maybe Toto is going, all right, you know what? Stuff you. That's the best euphemism I can come up with. And I'm going to protest you and make your life misery and, and talk smack about you in the press.
3: It's worth mentioning as well that, under you know cornering loads the loads on the the wings is about double what it was even five or six years ago you know so if the test hasn't you know accommodated um for that then there's an awful lot more force being exerted on the cars than is actually being tested for remember that with the amount of downforce these
2: cars produce at kind of peak loads they'll weigh about two and a half tons. All right. So there's a question in the chat. I'm going to briefly address it. The the parts are technically not allowed to flex. The way they test for it is a static test. They attach a weight, a hydraulic, and they pull and they measure deflection. That deflection is now also going to be measured, not from the center of the wings, but also from the corners of the rear wings. And it's going to be a rotation. That said, they don't measure the deflection while the car is actually moving. And this is where the room has come in that's allowed Red Bull to do what it has done. You've sneaked a tech time in there, Matt.
1: I see what you've done. I see you in in 4K, man.
2: I see. Uh, I feel guilty now.
1: I have enjoyed the summer's tech times being part of the regular shows. Um, I know there's some people who are a bit upset that it's not in its own space. And there may be, like in the summer and in the off-season, fully like just tech time episodes, that's fine. But in this regular season, I think we've opened up the tech time to a bunch of people who would not normally tune into a whole tech time segment, but once they're already listening to a new show, have enjoyed it. So I'm just, I'm really happy right now that a lot of our listeners have seen the great work that you and Summers do, picking apart the technical side of Formula One.
2: Yeah, and I think we're excited to be able to share uh, more Shall I use the word digestible length?
1: Yeah. What? Well, well, if you're calling summer's boring with a weird Brummie accent, that's on you. I'm not saying that. I think he's got an interesting accent and is interesting.
2: Well, I think he's interesting, too. Because <laughs> he is. We talk for hours after we record our segment, but that's a different story.
1: I have sat down uh, for a beer with Matthew Summerfield from MerckSport.com, as have you. You can literally talk tech with him all day long. In in my opinion, when we have this conversation in ten years' time, Matthew Summerfield will be the the F one tech journalist that people talk about.
2: Uh, he will be because he's he knows everything. He gets he got pictures of every single air gun on the pit lane for his so,
1: latest article. So follow Summers at Summers F one Matt at Mattpt fifty five. They will be doing more tech on Miss Apex podcast. Don't worry. Uh, do say. Hello, and do give a follow to our new friend, Jonathan Simon. Where can people follow you, Jonathan?
4: So I'm at, uh, at Johnny S8. So that's J-O-N-N-Y E S S eight, not the letter S. E S S eight, just something mm-hmm. different. I uh, really enjoyed it. I've never done this style of podcast before, so I'm just trying to get my feet wet, and it's uh, <laughs> it was good fun. Looking you, forward to more.
1: You're a welcome addition. Uh, look at the show notes, and you will see a link where to find out, where, where to follow Jono um, and uh, find all his social media stuff. Chris Stevens, oh, you know where to find Chris, Chris on racing. You can find. Come you, out. You're still tweeting things sometimes.
3: Yeah. yeah. You're mostly sharing client stuff.
1: You're on Instagram where you share just hammock photos of just you chilling, just living your best life.
3: Yeah, yeah. Instagram is Mm -hmm. uh, a little bit more personal. Um, Yeah. You
1: you share your feelings on Instagram, don't you? You're like, (laughs) oh, it's a sad day. I listened to Coldplay and just reflected on the futility of existence.
3: I don't post that much anymore because I don't. Do anything exciting anymore? Just office and then home uh, because of this stupid pandemic. But as soon as I'm allowed to travel again, my Instagram will be uh, 10 out of
1: 10. Fully again. populated. Uh, well, of course, you can follow me at Spanners Ready, the show at Mist Apex F1. We've got a TikTok where we're putting some of our clips from the show as well. I don't know how you find things on TikTok. I guess TikTok Missed Apex. I'll work on it. I'll try and put a link in the show notes. Below as well. Thank you very much for watching Mr. Apex Podcast. Uh, I hope you enjoy the uh, Baku Grand Prix. Thank you, Baku. No, it's not. Thank you, Baku. Is it, Matt? It's, it's well done, Baku. That's well the, done, the, Baku. Yes. Well done, Baku. That's the tagline. We do have a an award in our non race shows, and it is this one. Up the week. Pay attention, panel, because we are going to. What we're going to do is we're going to be democratic for comment of the week. So we're going to put our hands up if we like Matt's comment that he's picked from our live YouTube chat room. So Matt, have you got three or four nominees for comment of the week?
2: I actually have four.
1: Four. Okay, excellent. Okay, so I'm I'm watching Chris and Jono with eagle eyes. So put your hand up if you like it. And that's how we'll pick the winner
2: this week. Number one, Mr. AJ Scotty. Stats are pointless. Like four out of three people don't understand maths. Oh, I like that. He's
1: made a, he's made a stat up on the spot. I'm going to put a hand up, but I'm the only one. Okay, Matt, who's the next candidate for comment of the week?
2: Our friend EJ underscore, which I know immediately earns a negative vote. Yes, I
1: cannot vote for this. It's
2: terrible. Paul Ricard. It's like a parking lot with colourful, bendy lines. Oh, Neil Poir,
1: you're like a British Eurovision entry. Oh, no. Who's your next candidate? Sorry, EJ.
2: Uh, Jason Jones, good luck to Tsunoda with his move to Italy. Looking forward to all the Italian swear words he learns. He won't get in trouble for those.
1: (laughs) But all of those will be hand gestures, so he'll be okay.
2: And last of all, we have Tony Powers. Uh, When Bernie dies, the memorial for him should be Paul Ricard with sprinklers.
1: Maybe, Jono. You look like you, you put your hand up for that, uh, Jono. Like you, you uh, had something to say about the Italian comment there with Yuki. You look a bit Italiany.
4: You could be Italian. Oh, well, that's uh, that's a first. I'm just kidding, by the way, Spanners. I get that a lot. Yeah, it's. Uh, I know. I, I do. I could look Italian. Maybe I am Italian. You, I'm looks, not, you I'm look. You look Italian. exactly
1: like a Roman centurion would look. Oh really?
4: Yeah. What well, should I have what... the little brush hairdo next time? Just one of those little. Ooh. That'd That'd be interesting. Just shave everything up to here.
1: That would make my Sunday. It absolutely would. I lost track of all the voting. So actually, let's abandon everything I said before. And Matt, you pick our comment of the week.
2: I think our comment of the week, um, based solely on my currying favor with you, will have to be Mr. AJ (laughs) Scotty, Stats are pointless. Like four out of three people don't understand maths. Comment of the week.
1: Thanks for tuning into to Missed Apex Podcast. Please do follow my panel anywhere you can find them. Uh, Jonathan, Simon, Chris, Stevens, Matt, two rumpets, and me, I'm the best one, at Spanners Ready on Twitter and Instagram and LinkedIn and, and Facebook. No, Facebook won't let me do Spanners, so Richard Ready on Facebook, but come be my friend there. We'll see you, perhaps in 48 hours' time as we catch up with Mr. Carter. I know I've been promising, but uh, I think we are going to catch up with him on Tuesday afternoon. We'll probably stream that, stream that live to our patrons. Haha, <laughs> see what I'm doing? I'm incentivizing you to be a patron. If you want access to all our patron-only live streams, well, it will cost you 99 cents a month. Patreon.com forward slash Mr. Apex. Those episodes that are patron-only live streams will still be available on the mainstream just after the fact as well patreon.com forward slash missed apex if you cannot wait even a single two hours to catch that live stream join us on tuesday and then on sunday at 8 p.m british summertime bst gmt plus one join us for our baku review wherever we see you next work hard be kind and have fun this was missed apex podcast